Hello and welcome to the Books to the Boardroom podcast. The podcast where we talk to CEOs, CFOs and executives about their career journey from an account to no finance background through to leadership positions. We explore the challenges, the triumphs and the sequence of events that made them the leaders they are today. My name is Sumit Desanayake. I'll be your co-host. This podcast is proudly brought to you by my company Briska. Briska is a CA force outsourcing partner. We take care of a company's transactional finance functions and allow CA force to focus on the strategic, enjoyable part of their job. Show notes can be found at briska.com.au/podcast and click in on the relevant episode link. Thanks for listening. Hello and welcome. Today our guest is Brett McCallum, CEO of Vertec. What an interesting story. Having spent just a single day at university, Brett didn't take the usual path. Now running a global business, Brett credits this to being able to stay in his lane. We talk about being burned by business partners, dealing with failure, but also dealing with success. Amanda Campbell co-hosts this episode. Here she is now. Today we're joined by Brett McCallum, CEO of Vertec, an international business technology solutions company. Welcome, Brett. How are you doing? Good. We're excited to have you here. I'm excited. I say that to all our guests, but you are really unusual. (laughs) (laughs) I'll take that as a compliment. Thanks very much. Yeah, yeah. Reason being is you have such an interesting career journey. Um, It's different. Well, yeah, it is. Uh, But it's a pathway that I think many of our listeners will find inspiring and also open up their eyes to a little bit in the sense of you went to university for a day. One day. One day. (laughs) (laughs) I'll tell you what, it was a bloody good day though. (laughs) Not good enough to want to go back. No, maybe it was too good. That was the problem. (laughs) But that's pretty much it. You went to university for a day and then somehow you nabbed a position in a bank and that's where your journey began. So you did there. (laughs) Hey, that was pretty good. So tell us a little bit about how your professional life began. How it began? Well, um, I was one of those kids in school that went to school for fun. Uh, I was really good at sport and I quite enjoyed that. Um, I wasn't very good from a uh, let's get stuck in and do homework type stuff. Um, I actually showed my kids my year 12 report card the other week and it said, Brett is a big disappointment. Uh, they could write that back then. They couldn't <laughs> write that now. Brett's a big disappointment. He needs to assert himself more. Uh, Brett shouldn't really do this. Brett should have given up years ago. All this sort of stuff. Whereas the sport one was Brett's an excellent student. <laughs> so it was one of those things. Even to the point where in New South Wales we did the high school certificate. And uh, you got it was the first year of what they call the ATAR up here now in Queensland. And uh, I didn't do that well, to tell you the truth. I actually also... I've been one of those people that plan very little and just do. And uh, at the time during the exams, they were three-hour exams, but you weren't allowed to leave if you were in the last hour. Yeah. So I made them all two-hour exams and left before <laughs> the hour come up. Probably the wrong attitude. Don't do that at home, kids. But the big Good strategy. Diff- <laughs> well, the thing was, this is, this is just me, was that uh, Red Rooster at the time had this really good special <laughs> So I used to go over there and get the food and wait for all the other kids to come across. <laughs> sad. Very sad. But, um, yeah, no, I failed my HSC. I got a mark of 42 mm-hmm. out, of, uh, out of 100. And uh, I was a big disappointment to my family. Um, well, I sort of was. 
I think mum always wanted me to be a professor or something like that and <laughs> dad really didn't care as long as I had a good time. And then, um, yeah, so I got 42 and it was like, okay, where am I going to go? I've got to go to uni, everyone has to go to uni, all that sort of stuff. And the only thing I could get into was nursing or computer science mm-hmm. or computer studies it was actually called. Mm-hmm. And that was at a university down in Wagga Wagga, mm-hmm. which is, uh, I think it was Charleston University in Wagga, which was a six-hour drive from our home at the time. Mm-hmm. So mum and dad packed up the car and they took me down there and then I got to, uh, got to Wagga Wagga and they found me a house to live in with this little old lady and... I went to the football and I used to play Aussie Rules and uh, they said, look, we'll pay you to play. So I was like, that's good, (laughs) I'm going to get money and all this sort of stuff. I then went to orientation day and I'm sitting there going, wow, this is going to be pretty cool. Um, Maybe had a couple of beers, maybe (laughs) had a couple of too many beers. Found this bloke, he was a really good fellow. We got on like a house on fire. And uh, yeah, the next morning I wake up not feeling real good and um, said to mum, yeah, I don't think university's for me. I'm going to go home and get a real job. And... She said, uh, oh, I'm so proud of you. you've made a decision. And my dad said, you could have friggin' told me six hours ago and I didn't have to drive all this way. <laughs> so I went back home and long story short is I then, uh, at the age of 18, I had seven jobs at once. I was working in a bar, delivering pizzas, parking cars, lift, carrying bags, just doing anything really to make some money. And then uh, still had no idea what to do. And uh, so then I applied for a job at a bank because that's a good idea. Mm-hmm. And I got it. And it was like, wow. So... I was, what, 19 years old, 18, 19. Got a job at the uh, the local bank as a bank teller. Mm-hmm. Well, I was actually a, um, pushing checks through machines and stuff like that. And at, in those days, I sound really old now, don't I? <laughs> <laughs> but in those days, like, um, everyone was sexist and stuff, right? And because I was a bloke and I was doing the checks and the ladies were on the tills and that was a better job, the actual accountant there, that's what he was called, he wasn't an accountant, but that was his role, mm said, oh, you need to be up on the counter because you're a, you're a man. It's oh, a man's right. job. So they moved the number one teller onto the check machine and moved me to number one teller. Wow. Never done that before in my life. But anyway, winged it, made it. That was all yep. good. And then I got moved into um, – I did really well in the bank and, and sort of moved up through the ranks a little bit during that year and a half at the start. And then I, um, I got moved onto this hit squad, they called it, which is when a bank got held up. They sent a team of people from all around the area to go and take the positions of the people in the branch to get out so they can go and get psychological assistance. Wow. I didn't know that existed. Oh, maybe it doesn't anymore. <laughs> probably shut the doors now. But yeah, we used to, and then we, so we used to go in and um, just take over that role in that bank. Yeah, okay. And the way that the bank worked in those days was whatever your last position you did, that's the position that got paid for. Mm-hmm. And I was running late this day. So I got into the bank um, and it was the bank that had just been held up and so I rocked up and they said, oh, what are you doing here? And I said, oh, I'm part of the squad. They all had their jobs and they said, oh, that's your seat over there. I went, okay. So what's that role? And they said, oh, business development manager. <laughs> and I thought, all right then, what do they do? And so I was chatting to the guy and he said, oh, they do the loans, they do this, they do that. And I said, oh, that's cool, I can do that. So I sat down at the business development manager's chair and I um, became the business development manager for this team. And so there, because I'd had that role, they said, then said to me at the next place, I went, what was your last role? What was the business development manager? <laughs> so <laughs> some may say I talked my way into it, but I became, the, I became the uh, youngest bank manager in Australia. So I was wow. 19 years old and yep. I was a bank manager at National Australia Bank. And then I got um, poached by uh, ING Mercantile Mutual Bank, it was called back then, 
that was when ING first came into the country. I was actually employee number six at oh, ING. Oh, wow. Yep. And my job there was on a typewriter to type out the checks for people that when they, um, when they got their dividends and stuff. So every mm-hmm. day we'd type out checks and get the dividends. And um, so I did that and it was all good. That was part of the back office. So I went, okay, that's fine. They're paying me. So I had to commute to Sydney. So I was an hour and a half each way and it was sort of was a long way and just one of those things. And then one day in a meeting, the um, manager said, oh, someone at ING said, we have to have an IT department. Is anyone interested? No one put their hand up. And I went in afterwards and I said, mate, I'd really like to have a crack at that IT role. <laughs> and he goes, you're it, done. Double my salary on the spot. <laughs> so back then I was I went from twenty six to 52000 and that was a lot of money back then. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so I became IT. So they trained me up and I got into IT in banks and... From there, I went to Credit Suisse and then moved to London. Cool. And so, you were in London for nine and a half years, weren't you? We went for six months. My wife um, was a paralegal at the time. Uh, we got married in 96. And uh, yeah, we went to London for six months and we come back uh, nine and a half years later with two kids <laughs> and a ridiculous career. And it was, uh, yeah, it was probably one of the best decisions we ever made. Uh, we originally went there specifically to make money and have a good time mm-hmm. for six months, travel around the world and do all that sort of stuff. And a funny story about that is that I still worked casually, very like once a month or so, <laughs> at the local Holiday Inn, the hotel. And because you're a Holiday Inn employee, you get this special card and they would just stay anywhere in the world for $35. So we stayed at the Beverly Hills Holiday Inn <laughs> for 35 bucks, wow. And because I was from Australia and I, I have a little bit of a gift about telling stories... Mm-hmm. Um, that I said to him, look, I've come from Australia. We want to see how your operations work. I got upgraded to a suite. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, the gap, this oh, one. it was awesome. <laughs> and but the thing is, we did that all around the world for like the first year we were travelling. So we we loved it. We we're living this life of luxury for thirty five bucks a night, and all my mates were doing Kentucky tours and all that <laughs> sort of stuff. And we were like, hey, this is this is really cool. But we went to London, and the idea was to contract and make some good money. Um, and so we did that, and I I, <laughs> I got my first job at a, um, uh, it was Commonwealth Development Corporation. So they were like a bank, but not really a financial institution because obviously that was my background. And I read the dummies guide to networking on the way to the interview. And during the interview, the guy asked me all the questions that I'd just read. <laughs> so I nailed it. And so I got offered the job. And uh, that was my first contract role. And once in London, once you get a contract role back those days, you're just, they all coming in. There was oh, so much work over there. It was ridiculous. Mm. So... Yeah, and then I got um, a call from Credit Suisse where it worked in Australia and they said, look, there's a job going in London, are you interested? And I said, yeah, that'd, that'd be awesome. And so I was there for six and a half years, I think, at Credit Suisse as a contractor. So you're in the financial world, but yeah. in a different, I guess, aspect to, to guests we've interviewed previously. I guess putting a lot of the systems in place to actually allow them to do their jobs well. 100%, yeah. yeah. It, was, it was IT. It was always... Um, Originally, I went in from a finance point of view, mm. which is ironic with my background. <laughs> um, but yeah, we, we went, I went in there as a project manager pretty much mm. and then managed uh, large-scale infrastructure projects. Um, and that's where we got into end-user computing, which is still what we do today. Mm. And it's really funny, the journey, if I look back now, we arrived in London in 1997 and now what, we're 2020. And um, still doing the same thing, mm. just obviously now doing it for ourselves. So tell us a little bit about Vertec. Well, Vertec's a group of companies, so I'm the group CEO of that. Um, we like to call ourselves a 12-year-old startup. Uh, Mark Henderson, who's my business partner, 
and I uh, have a very, very dysfunctional relationship that just works. That's one of those things where we bust up once a month at least. We have a massive blue on the phone, hang up on each other the next day. It's just as if nothing happened. It's like a good, good, like a good marriage, I suppose. But no, it's, it's interesting. So Mark and I met uh, at Gold Coast City Council when I first got back from London. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'd been, whilst I was in the UK, uh, I'm an entrepreneur, so we do a lot of different things. We had a lot of different businesses and stuff over there in different sectors mm-hmm. and I was at lunch one day I'm chatting to Mark and and we're just talking about different things and he'd done similar sort of things in the UK and we just clicked and it was one of those those things where um completely opposite to each other which I think is a good thing in business but at the same time we're 100% honest with each other we're, we're brutally honest sometimes <laughs> that's not a good thing but uh, at the same time is that up until four years ago our whole business was on a handshake so okay. it was look in the eye, handshake. That's how our dads brought us up, and mm-hmm. that's what we what we did. And yeah. wasn't until about four years ago that the accountants and lawyers said, "Boys, <laughs> you probably should put something on paper." And we're like, "We don't need it." And it's mm-hmm. like, well, "You need to." Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. that was the reason that sort of happened. But yeah, we're a, we're a uh, an IT company. Um, we're a media company. We're um, we just pivoted in COVID, and we're now providing temperature products yeah. for that uh, through our TempSafe brand. Um, and we, we have opportunities for lots of different people in lots of different sectors, but the core business that pays our bills is the main services company that we have in our recruitment agency, uh, which is require resources. And uh, we've stuck to our lane, which I think is really important if you're going to be successful, mm-hmm. is the fact that uh, we do a lot of stuff in the financial services sector because that's where we come from, but at mm-hmm. the same time we do a lot of stuff in government because that's where the business is here mm-hmm. in Queensland. But then we're also now, we've, uh, we went global a couple of years ago mm-hmm. and uh, we've got offices in Utah in the US, uh, in Singapore, uh, partnerships in the UK, etc. And it's just because we stuck to what we knew and what we're good at, um, that's why we succeed. Mm. I think so. it's really interesting. One of the guys uh, locally here said to us, we don't believe that anyone stayed in your lane because it, everyone left it because they, they didn't think it was going to stay. Mm-hmm. And so we look after end-user computing. We, uh, we look after the upgrade of your operating system and those sort of things. However, we've also taken on a number of different businesses through either acquisition or through uh, mergers, et cetera, or just taking over as partners. So we now use best-of-breed technology across the, any sector mm-hmm. um, for what needs to get done. And that's, I think, what the, what the key to this is. So how have you gone about learning with all those kind of industries you've moved into – um, and while you've stuck to your lane, as you've said, yeah, yeah. you have had interests in other part, like other parties that um, you've joined forces with. How have you? How's that interest been peaked, or how have you learned about those in- industries? Well, it, it's interesting because I love startups, and I've been involved in a heap of startups. We've had good exits, we've had bad exits, uh, we've been involved in different things at the same time, and. I've got another business partner in some startup stuff that we do and he calls it squirrel syndrome. He, he, it's probably ADHD or something like that. <laughs> but it's sort of shiny object goes past and uh, and Brett points towards it. Oh, squirrel, yep. let's go over there, over there. <laughs> yep. But that all, that all comes down to the fact that the way my brain works is it works at a different pace than most people's. And people say to me, you should concentrate on one thing. I can't. That's just not who I am. And so... What I've realised, and it's probably only three or four years ago, I realised, and doctors have told me this as well, is the fact that do what your brain tells you to do. Mm-hmm. And my brain tells me to continue with that, but also look at that, 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 and that, mm-hmm. which a lot of people can't do, and they just don't understand. But at the same time, is what we used to do is we used to do it all ourselves. 
So we'd actually go and we'd be doing 80, 90 hour weeks. Mm-hmm. Whereas now what we do is if we, we start a new portion of the business or whatever, we'll put a manager in charge. So I can take a step back and oversee the whole lot. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, um, that's one of the key sort of lessons learnt, I suppose, is that you can't do everything. Mm-hmm. Even though, yep, you can have multiple facets, you can have multiple businesses, all that sort of stuff, but you can't do the lot. Otherwise, mm-hmm. you end up um, in a coffin. I think much. it's one of the challenges a lot of entrepreneurs face, isn't it? Thinking that it's the biggest the challenge. I yeah, <laughs> yeah. That and money. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you can always make money. Yeah, yeah. That, that, that's the thing. Like, I retired the first time when I was thirty-one, and lost it all at thirty-one and a half. It <laughs> <laughs> was a good six months. <laughs> that was great. <laughs> no, but the thing is, I got bored, and that that yeah. was the thing is that yeah. I got bored, and I I have to do stuff. Mm. Like everyone says, we ever retire. Probably officially, but never, mm. because that's not who I am. Mm. And it's really interesting because I got four kids and trying to teach them, like they they say, "What do you do, Dad?" And I say, "Well, lots of stuff." But it's easier now just to sort of say, "We we do podcasting or we do this <laughs> or that or whatever." Yeah. So yeah, yeah, that, that's a different way to look at things. So, how has it been in your career journey with not having formal qualifications? Has that ever been any an issue for you? Yeah, definitely, De- definitely. But at the same time, is um, it's also been a benefit because I've had real life experience, mm, and yeah. I've got a mate that did architecture at university, and he went to university for seven years, and I'd been earning for seven years. So when he came out of university, um, I was making one hundred fifty grand a year. He comes out of seven years at university and is on 26,000 bucks. <laughs> and he says to me, look, that's not fair. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, well, what do you mean? He goes, well, I went and said, well, that's your decision. Yeah. So I say to my kids now, like, if you don't want to go to uni, that's fine. As long as you've got a job and you're paying your own way, then mm. that's fine. But mm-hmm. at the same time, if it means you've got to hustle to get to where you need to get to, do mm. that. So the formal qualification thing was really interesting because people read CVs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a bit of paper with like LinkedIn, like where you guys yeah. found me. It's yeah. a, it's one of those things that where you put up your career path and all this sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. To me, I don't even look at a CV if I interview someone. Um, I have I have a, a different philosophy. Surprise, surprise! <laughs> uh, at recruiting people as well is the fact that I trust my team. Mm-hmm. So if if we're doing business together and you say I really like this person, I trust them. I know them. I won't even interview them. Bring them on. But I have one rule. If they're shit and I sack them, you're sacked as well. Yeah. yeah. And the thing is that gets people going, oh, I can't do that. But at the same time, you actually get a really good team around mm. you. And I think if you surround yourself with the right people, mm-hmm. having a bit of paper doesn't really matter. Mm. Yeah. I'll hire someone that's got a bit of paper. Yeah. That's, yeah. Right. Yeah. That, that, that's to me, the best way to do it. Mm. However, then there's careers like in accountancy and all that sort of stuff mm. where you need that. Yeah. But I guarantee if we put a math problem in front of me right now, I wouldn't be able to do it. If you put a math problem in front of me now with a dollar sign in front of it, I wouldn't get it wrong. <laughs> 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 that, that's just the way the things yeah. work is you yeah. learn this stuff yeah. on the way through. So, yeah. so yeah. interesting that you made that point. Like, you know, when you have a formal qualifications, you normally um, – you put it on a box like you know you have a framework so you're not trying to work you know against the framework or going beyond the framework you just your mind is always uh, confined yourself into a one framework so yeah not having that framework the human nature takes the <laughs> position where you know 
you can you know you we are a tri- you know people you know we need to work in a tribe so we like you know people uh, trust people we mm-hmm. always work on the fundamentals of human nature yeah, sure. it looks like you know you are sort of taking the advantage of the nature's fundamentals instead of uh, formal qualification mm. oh 100% <laughs> and i love to say i'm the dumbest person in the room <laughs> because everyone in that room is smarter than me at what they do However, there's no one else in that room that can bring those people together. That's true. And to me, business is all about storytelling and all about putting the right team in place. Yeah. If you haven't got the right team, like I give 100% credit to my children, to my wife. We're a great team. Mm-hmm. Well, she really does all the work, but, <laughs> but we're a great team because yeah. I get, we made conscious decisions early on. Like, and I've been married 24 years this year, just recently, and... The, the way we have stayed together, I always joke and tell her that's because she's the luckiest woman on the planet. <laughs> and I tell her that every day. Um, but, but the way we, is the fact that we make conscious decisions about how we're going to bring up our kids and all that sort of stuff. And the fact that I'm going to go and earn the money over here. If I can't do that, then she can't do that, vice versa. Mm. It's exactly the same in business. Mm-hmm. In yeah. business is if I need a lawyer, I'm going to go and hire the best lawyer I know. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe not the best lawyer in the world, but the best lawyer I know. Yes. Yes. Who knows me? Mm. Like my accountant, I remember interviewing my accountant for the first time and I said, look, I'm happy to bend the line. I'm not breaking, I'm not getting on the other side. And she goes, I'll stand over there and push you back. Mm. Yeah. And to me, that's, that's me in a nutshell, is mm. the fact that more than happy to do things and you're going to tell me about tax. Yeah. I don't know anything about tax. Yeah. And I don't care because I don't need to. Mm. And yeah. I think mm. that's, that team building is, to me, better than those qualifications. Mm. It's so true, yeah. So how do you go out and find the right people to surround yourself with? Um, it's been a long journey. <laughs> Found some really <laughs> shitty people. <laughs> Overturned every rock. Um, but it, but it's, it's interesting because I'm a very trusting person. And um, as I mentioned earlier, like I retired early. I lost it. That was mine. That was a stupid decision. I then went to go again and got burnt by a business partner. I went to go again and got burnt by another business. But you think you'd learn. Um, my wife told me every time was, I told you so. But anyway, but the, but the thing is you learn from those and yeah. you understand, you start to see the difference. And I've had good lawyers, bad lawyers, I've had good accountants, bad accountants, all that. But then you just sort of see who fits in with you. Yeah. And you mentioned tribe earlier. It's, it's such a good word yeah. because you need to find your tribe. You need yeah. to find that dysfunctional family that fits in with your dysfunctional brain mm-hmm. and then if you find the right people then you find the right people we've had people last with us since we've been with us since day one mm. we've also had people with us that have been there for a day yeah. <laughs> it's quite it's quite family. <laughs> I'll say, oh, i think we've is. all been in a, an environment where that's happened someone's not come back <laughs> we, we find it with interns it's really interesting because we're different interns come and they're expecting like a yeah. structured university style yeah. mm. they come in two days later they go wow what have i walked into yeah. here it's um yeah it's, it's interesting the other thing is space you need to create the right space yeah um like when we built our new facility all i wanted was a basketball court and a bar um in the facility mm-hmm. and a recording studio and then I was happy. And then I said to my secretary, whatever else you want to do, go for your life. <laughs> but that keeps me happy mm. and that's what mm. we need. So if you're in a happy environment, yes. I want people to come and say, I work there or I want to work mm. there or I want to come back tomorrow, mm. yeah. we, which, is, which is the key where we have had people not come back. <laughs> <laughs> but, that, but that's the joy of success. Yeah, it is. I think yeah. you've got to get to yeah. And you've got to fail to succeed. Yeah. Well, yeah. it's interesting you bring that up because I think you said there's seven 
businesses you've started. Four of them. Oh, there's probably more, a lot more. <laughs> <than> <laughs> seven. I'm going to say seven, seven exits. Seven exits. That was it. Sorry. <laughs> we've, we've had three really good exits and four really oh, bad yeah. exits. Yeah. So how did you cope in those moments of failure? Well, it's interesting. Um, I, I wrote a book called Embrace the Fail and that was all about my life story. It was a very edited book because my wife read it and went, you're not saying that, you're not <laughs> saying that. But the thing was, it was to me, it was all about bouncing back from that failure and um, it's it's learning. It's getting to rock bottom. It's getting to a point where you've got literally seven bucks to feed your kids mm. and the kids have no idea. Like we were living in a, in a luxury waterfront property with $7 now account going... Okay, sweet potato and chicken tonight. Oh, yeah. kids, we get to eat sweet potato and chicken. <laughs> but, but at the same, same time, is just learning from yeah. how bad that felt mm-hmm. and the fact that you felt like you've let everyone down to the point of euphoria mm-hmm. when you sit there and actually don't have to go to work anymore. Mm-hmm. The difference between the two is massive. And I'm always a believer if you've ever made money, you know how to make money. So if you fail, get back out there. Have another crack. Again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Get, get back on the horse, as they used to say. It's like one of those things that... Shit happens in life. Yeah. Mm. And you've just got to deal with it as it happens. Mm. And what about when you've succeeded? Does it keep your interest or are you like, right, I've got to move on to the next kind of thing? It's really interesting because um, I've always had something different about me and no one's ever diagnosed, let's use that word, (laughs) of what it is. And I, um, like whether it's ADHD or whatever that is, and... I went and saw a psychologist on my wife's request and <laughs> <laughs> actually she told me I had to, um, it wasn't a request, but I went, I went and saw this psychologist and I'd seen lots of different doctors and people and all that and no one ever, and he goes, I know what's wrong with you. And I said, well, what's that mate? And he goes, you're scared of boredom. Mm-hmm. And I used to self-sabotage your business and that's why we've been rich and poor and rich and poor is the fact that I never thought I was good enough to actually be wealthy. Mm-hmm. I never thought I was, okay, I'm going to retire now I'm bored now. Let's let's fuck that up over there. Excuse yep. my language. Um, <laughs> because what that allows me to do is rebuild it. Yeah. Okay. So by self-sabotaging in business, okay. not self-harming or anything like that, but self-sabotaging in business has enabled me to then rebuild yeah. it. Whereas what we do now is we just open a new company mm. and continue the good stuff. Mm. And it's a really good lesson learned is the fact of talking to people. Mm. Like um, the fact when you walk in to somewhere and there's like a chair you've got to sit on you just talk to this bloke and... I'm a bloke, I don't do that. Why would I do that? And then within two sessions, like I'm in love with the bloke and he's just <laughs> saved my life. But but the big thing about it is that you actually talk to people and I think yeah. no matter what level you are, whether you're a junior or you're a, uh, a CEO or whatever, you should actually talk to people. Mm. Yeah, you, you need to, especially mm. blokes because blokes are always too tough to talk. Yeah. Mm. And yeah. I think it's something in the accounting and finance space Networking is not something people yes. love doing naturally. Because accountants don't have personalities, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> no, and the reason, I, the reason, the reason I say that—that's really bad—is the fact that that's the perception. That's it, yeah. isn't yeah. it? Perception. Yeah. Whereas, so like you guys that. doing this sort of things, awesome because yeah. it's actually getting out there and being different, mm. and that's going to build you a successful business. Mm. That's true. Whereas, there's a persona that mm. people see. Like back in the day, I remember when the first job I got on a trade floor was at Credit Suisse um, in Sydney and 
I walked down on the trade floor and I saw a guy physically getting shaken because the bloke was losing a million dollars a day. Fix my computer. It was lots of swearing. <laughs> and and the thing is, I'm sitting there going, oh, shit, what have I got myself in for? <laughs> so I walked over and said, can I help you? And he goes, do you know what? Oh, no idea, mate, but let's work it out. <laughs> yep. And by just talking to the bloke, we worked mm. it out. But then the persona of that bloke is everyone hated these traders because they were arrogant assholes. Yeah. Mm. Everyone thinks of accountants and finance people as like boring pen pushers. Yeah. It's just a persona that, mm. that people get. But mm. at the same time, it's a really hard thing to, to lift. And mm. by actually talking to people, it makes a big difference. Yeah, Marketing, advertising, communications. Yeah. It's massive. That's, That's right. I think they're hindering their opportunities by being, you know, trying to be... Oh, main, I mean, I would say it's maintaining the profession. Like, you know, you're trying to maintain it like someone has maintained in the past instead of, you know, go with the world right now. This is not the requirement or this is not what the the clients or the, 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 the people are expecting from an accountant. So they are expecting more, I mean, more human nature or more, you know, more friendly, you know, more. I want you to be like <laughs> me. But I want yeah. you to have this conversation, yeah. you yeah. know what I mean? Like, yeah. I don't want like a, the old-fashioned big table yeah. chair and we yeah. sit down and we do all your books once a year and I see mm. you or I go into a That's shopping right. centre and... You tell this person, you know, and I don't want to tell you how much I earn. I don't yeah. want to tell, why would I tell you? Yeah. I want us to have a relationship yeah. because I need my accountant to actually understand, okay, mate, we've done that because of that. And I also want my accountant to turn around and go, do this. Mm. Like you've got 150 grand you can write off immediately, mm. buy something. Yeah. You know, that sort of thing. Mm. The most important person during COVID was my accountant and mm -hmm. my bookkeeper. Yeah. By far, because mm. of all of the job keepers and all that sort of stuff. Mm. Um, we, we do a lot of investing in startups and stuff, and we had businesses shut within 12 hours' notice. Mm. Mm. The most important person was the accountant, because I'd walk in and go, ah, what do we do now? Mm. And she'd sit there and go, okay, well, what is it? Where is it? Or we can do this, or we can apply for that. And I think from that point of view, COVID's actually given the accountants a bit of a boost up made them put personality <laughs> into the accountancy world. So true, that's yeah. right. And and the accountants now, they're trying to play a different role as well. Even from the professional bodies like CPA or CA, they're also trying to push the accountants to that direction now. Instead of, you know, being the bean counter behind the scene, mm. let's go and talk to the clients or be with the clients and understand the business and, you know, and support them, uh, you know. It's more business term. development, I'd that's say, right. yeah. Yeah. as opposed to just straight-out accountants. Yeah. yeah, it's advisor. It's, it's the advisor. advisory Guidance. space and trusted yeah. advisor. Yeah. yeah, you can't be an advisor unless you have a good relationship yeah. with the client. That's it. Yeah, you can't walk mm. into my business and have no idea what <laughs> I do <laughs> and then sit there and go, oh, you should do this and that, yeah. which is old-style accountancy. Mm. Yeah. Right? Mm. I think there's a, there's a new wave of... And I think also a lot of technologies help that as, as well, like a lot more people are using Xero and those sort of... Um, technologies mm. which makes your job a lot easier than it used to be back so in the true. day mm. yeah. like i've got one guy running one of our businesses at the moment and today he's done a pnl on a handwritten bit of paper and sent me a photo it's like <laughs> what the fuck are you doing seriously like <laughs> give it to me in a simple. but i haven't seen that for years but the thing is I, I, okay i'll send the photo to the accountant but it's like that's that's how stuff used to happen in the old. Whereas now, yeah. obviously, we can stick all that yeah. technology and it helps us. Yeah. yeah. In my experience, the young accountants are much better. They are in that phase now. I think it is now in the transition. So the young accountants are much out, outgoing personalities, and they are. I think they are embrace the technology as well as the relationship with. The Why client. is that? Maybe because of the you know the cultural change. Maybe the what is happening in the world now. We got we are working. We are living in a uh, what is it called the connected society. Mm. Okay. So when we were studying in our case, like, you know, accountants on a separate room, you know, so yeah. we're always trying to, you know, maintain that accountants' uh, attributes. 
now it's not there anymore so you need to be part of the the bigger community mm. so you need the communication skills you need the you know the uh, the relationship building skills as well even in our case now we are trying to um, uh, promote as a business we are trying to sort of promote that to the young gener- young young you know the graduates who come and work with us because we know that's what is required in Do the they future. get taught that though? Yeah, of course, I think so. It's a matter of uh, because they were not taught that before. That's why they have not never experienced yeah, yeah. that. Mm-hmm. But when you give them a little bit of support, including myself, I'm the same. Oh no, of course. <laughs> giving them a little bit of support, then you go a long way. Mm. Well, not all, all of them, some of them. No, no, that that's fair. I, I'm a massive believer that the education system's broken and the way that people get taught and all that sort of stuff is just 100 wrong. Um, but at the same time, as if they're teaching that at university and those sort yeah. of things, now, well, that, that's a good good start because human communication should be the number one a- attribute for exactly. any business, yeah. whether it's accounting mm. or whatever. That's right. So yeah, that whole what you do in the communication mm, space yeah. is mm. probably the most important thing, no matter what I'd anyone like to does. Think so. Of course. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But let's touch on that aspect and the mentoring. You are involved in a lot of startups and that's obviously from a funding perspective as well. But also there's that mentoring element, I imagine. That's that's the main thing that I do. Yeah, yeah. So how do you find these startups? Do they come to you? Are you out there searching, <laughs> going through your little yeah. black book? Of a, a bit of both, or? really. Yeah. It's um, probably five years ago. So before Shark Tank and that stuff come out, we, we had a business called the Startup Club. Mm-hmm. And what that was was Shark Tank-style pitching everything. So we called it Toastmasters for Entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. So we actually had a panel of entrepreneurs. We sat around a table and mm-hmm. people would come in each week and pitch us an idea. And the idea for us was, is this something we want to invest in or whatever? And we had a philosophy that... If I can find the silver bullet that's going to kill your business, I'd rather do that right now and kill your business. Sorry if that upsets mm-hmm. you, as opposed to you going to mortgage your house mm-hmm. and spend a hundred grand on trying to build something that's never going to make money. Mm-hmm. So we we're brutally honest, yeah, and we did that um, firstly for deal flow from our point of view, and secondly from the point of view that we also build technology for these guys. So as we start building more technology, we can then reuse some of that technology. So doesn't cost you millions of dollars to actually build something because we've already got it. Mm-hmm. We can just use that. Yep. And so they're, they're the sort of things that we did in that space. So I do a lot of mentoring at Startup Weekends and all that sort of mm-hmm. stuff. And to me, it's <laughs> and it's funny that I'm on a financial podcast because it's all about the financials. Like you'll go to a Startup Weekend, which is 54 hours. They, they pitch on the Friday. They've got to present on the Sunday. And you get people of all ages. Um, I don't know if you heard of Taj Pabari. Mm-hmm. Um, so Taj was a 13-year-old kid when he first pitched and he actually come up with this idea. Like, So there's like 60-year-old people and Taj and his mate and they pitched the idea of uh, like an iPad that you put together like Lego and then they can make that into a, an educational resource. And it was it was amazing because I saw this kid going, I need you, need, we, we need to speak because... Firstly, you're the future Prime Minister of Australia. You can just see that straight away. <laughs> but secondly is the fact that these kids are actually getting up in front of a room full of people and pitching, mm. and that's massive. Mm. But what you find during those weekends is that people see it as a competition, which is what it is. You win prizes and all that sort of stuff. I see it as a business, right? So on that weekend, Taj, for instance, in this particular case, they made money on the Sunday night. They'd sold them like 30 of these iPad things um, over a three-day period just from the fact that we sat down and we worked out what a marketing plan was, we worked out how to finance stuff, etc. Whereas other people that we do, oh, mate, I just need, here's the idea, here's the concept, that's awesome, how do you make money? Mm. 
because how much is it going to cost you <laughs> and then how much are you going to make and that's yeah. how you make money that's what business is right yeah. Yeah. and the big thing is that people go out into the real world and go got this great business idea and this idea it's going to change the world awesome how does it make money it's a not-for-profit <laughs> like seriously why would you have a not-for-profit that doesn't make money and you can't do anything. Like, yeah. and, and, and the irony of that to me is still, yeah. is still funny. We used to have on our wall at our old office, we want to positively affect one billion people and make one dollar off every one of them. Mm-hmm. Because we're of, we're of the philosophy, I'd rather be profit for a purpose mm. so we can make money so we can help people, right? Yeah. And, but it's really interesting that all these people come up with these concepts and ideas, whereas they've got no financial idea at all mm. because you're not taught it. Yeah. Mm. You're not taught financial, financial. literacy. Yeah. Um, one of the best books I've ever written is rich, uh, written read is Rich Dad Poor Dad, mm-hmm. which was I read it in two thousand. It changed my life, mm-hmm. and it's all because it actually teaches you about profit and loss statements, all the stuff that you guys learn at university <laughs> that the normal person doesn't learn yeah. or has no idea about. Mm-hmm. And that's why our educational system is fundamentally mm-hmm. broken because mm-hmm. we don't teach kids real world activities. Yeah, yeah. and I was lucky because I just learnt them. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I didn't get taught and I got thrown in the deep end yeah. and just had to learn yeah. it. So. But it sounds like you were very much a personality that you were like, I'll just give it a go and see how it pans out. Always have a crack. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's, it's funny. Um, uh, what's that? They're always look on the bright side of life. Yeah. That's me yeah. <laughs> in a nutshell. <laughs> but I'll also have a crack at anything. And I think that's the other thing. I, I always say there's two types of people in the world. There's doers and there's gunners. Mm-hmm. There's the gunner that's going to do this and going to do that and I'm going to do this and going to do that and never do yeah, fuck yeah. all. Mm. But then there's the doers who actually have a crack at stuff. Yep. Like people bring a business idea to me and I'll sit there and go, does it make money? And they go, yep. How? Cool. Let's go. Yeah. And what, what do you mean? Well, let's have a crack. Like, <laughs> yeah. You're not going to yeah. know unless you go and try and sell it to someone. Yeah, just, if you yeah. can then sell it to someone, then let's do it. Mm. So you've experienced success you've experienced failure Mm -hmm. what does i guess the future what does future success look like for you now my my family yeah well my family is the most important by far thing to me and it took me a long time to learn that Mm -hmm. i always knew it and in my head i've always done it for them not for me at all Mm -hmm. like everything i've always done is for my family yeah um but i think when you start to get Oh, I sound really old. When you start to get old and wise. <laughs> no, but when, when you start to sort of think about stuff, um, that's the reason I've done this, the reason I worked all those long hours and the reason that. And so to me, it's actually having the ability to spend time with them. Mm-hmm. Like my eldest daughter, she works part-time with us now and I love when she comes in the office. Like I don't even know what she does, but I love <laughs> when she comes in the office. She works in the social media team and, and yep. does stuff with them. Yep. But the big thing there is the fact that she'll come up, she'll give me a hug and a kiss in the middle of the office and... It's like, oh, wow, like we're actually leaving a legacy. Mark, yeah. Mark's son works in our tech team and he's one of the smartest humans I've ever met in my life. Mm. And he, um, he's now working in that space and we're giving him big projects to do. And this kid's like 19, 20 years old. Mm. No one else in the world would give these kids this opportunity. Mm. However, we, we believe in them. Yeah. And so from that, it's the ability to actually then do that and enjoy the rest of my kids. Mm. Oh, I think it's the best part. My youngest fellow's in year six, so he goes to year seven next year and... If we can sort of get through that, <laughs> so six more years, um, I think we'll 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 spend a lot more time. Um, well, I suppose we won't on the road because we're never allowed to leave our houses again. Yeah. But we'll we'll spend a lot more time um, just chilling. And you mentioned profit for purpose. Yep. Talk about that a little bit. Um, it's one of my favourite things. Mm-hmm. Is giving. Um, 
my, my, my favourite day of the year is my birthday, right? And I love to get presents. It's just the best thing ever. And I think that is because I give so much mm-hmm. throughout the year and that sort of stuff. And it, to me, I'd rather give you the shoes off my feet and let you walk comfortably than me because that's just who I am. And however, so we do a lot of stuff with the Preston Campbell Foundation. We do a lot of stuff with Indigenous youth. Uh, we're about to put in a neurodiversity program in the business where we actually take... Um, people that are on the spectrum and actually bring them in and give them roles and specific roles that they're really, really good at. And we're looking at different ways to do that. Uh, We sponsor a school out at Bow Desert for the kids that have been kicked out of all the other schools. And the reason we do that is I don't want any accreditation for this stuff. That's not why I do it. I've I've got one thing on my wall that Preston Campbell gave me. It just says, Brett and the team, thanks for everything you do. And to me, that still makes me go a bit tingly because... I don't want credit for this stuff. We just mm. do it because I can and I can help those people. Mm. And um, that is what Profit for a Purpose is, is mm. the fact that if I can make some money, as long as my family's looked after first, I'll then look <laughs> after anyone else. What triggered that in you? I don't know. I had a pretty interesting childhood. We, we didn't have much. Mm. But at the same time, we never had nothing. You mm. know what I mean? Like. Yep. I didn't know that we weren't rich. I didn't know that we weren't that. My, um, I bought my first pair of basketball shoes, uh, which I wish I'd have kept because they're worth about 100 grand now. <laughs> but I, I bought my first pair of basketball shoes and my dad said to me, look, I'll go your house. You save the money and I'll go your house. I didn't know that in the background he's saving and saving and mm. saving just so I could buy those shoes. Mm. And just little things like that is, is the fact that my mum and dad taught me how to do that sort mm. of stuff my old man was a grinder um like he he worked his heart out um mm. he also had his own demons and all that sort of stuff and we lost him when he was 58 and i look now and that's 11 years from now yeah and for me i'm, I'm not going anywhere just want to add that <laughs> <laughs> touch wood I'm not a touch stable sorry uh, but, but but the thing there is i think i learned like we were taught respect yeah i still opened the car door for my wife um i still pull a chair out at the table and that sort of stuff because that's how i was brought up mm. like it's, it's just, I think that's where I get mm. it from. Yeah. And because I can. Mm. That's the other thing no. is like, I yeah. think if you can do something, do it. If you don't want to, don't. That's fine too. Mm. However, I just get some sort of joy out of other people. Yeah. So how do the next 10 years look? Oh, my golf handicap really needs to get lower. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm playing really, really bad golf at the moment. It's not good. But um, now the next 10 years, we're, we, um, we're, we're setting up for ourselves. Our, our whole mission now, Mark and I made a conscious decision last year that um, for the next five years we want to build our business to a point where someone will come and give us a big check and uh, that'll and that, that's, that's the IT business. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll then pull off the media business and we do that as passion yeah. at the moment. It's our passion yeah. project, if you like. Um, it's now just starting to sort of make some money and do some bits in that, but we'll then concentrate on on those sort of things. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, we, we want to make a difference. Uh, one of my other business partners, uh, we want to create awesome little humans. So we want to change the education system. We want to change the way kids learn. Um, I don't know if you've heard of Jason Calacanis out of the US. Um, he, he's an entrepreneur over there, and he's just caused a massive amount of waves over there with uh, what he's called micro schools. Mm-hmm. And micro schools is... Uh, a midpoint between homeschooling and private school and what they do is they're hiring a teacher so i'd go and hire my own teacher mm. and i'd teach 10 kids in my neighborhood that's their school yeah mm. okay 
Yeah. It's really, really cool. I'm so yep. excited. We only learned about this two days ago. <laughs> but, but the thing is that... that You're sort making of, it happen. Yeah. Well, exactly, because that, that fits into our whole philosophy of creating yep. awesome little humans yep. is, is the way that if we can create those little humans, then it's going to be a better world. Yeah. Mm. Uh, I did uh, one, of, one of the sort of moments in my life. I, I was lecturing at Bond University. <laughs> Me. <laughs> Very amusing. I was, I was lecturing at Bond University uh, about entrepreneurism and stuff mm. like that. And... I said, the first thing I said was, what's an entrepreneur? And one of the kids put his hand up and he said, uh, I mean, you create businesses. And I said, yeah. And this other bloke puts his hand up. I said, yeah, mate. And he goes, means you're unemployed. <laughs> and I said, 100%. Like, that's the best answer I've ever heard in my life. And I said, you know what? I'm going to teach my kids to be unemployed as well. And he goes, what do you mean? I said, because my kid's going to employ your kid. Wow. Yeah. And everyone in the room's just gone, oh, I get it now. Mm. Is the fact that by doing stuff differently and the fact that I didn't go to university Mm. I think has actually helped me in that because it's given me a bit of a chip on my shoulder because I can do it and you can't (laughs) Mm. Um, but at the same time is I didn't personally didn't waste five or six years of my Mm. life Mm. doing something I'm never going to actually do Mm. like you went and did accountancy and those sort of things you use it that's your business that's that's what you do yeah Mm. I I coach a women's football team and I was talking to the girls last night she goes I don't think I'm going to go back to uni I said what are you doing she goes sports physiology so what the hell is that? <laughs> she goes, oh, I don't think I'm going to get back. I said, well, what are you going to do? And she goes, um, oh, it means I can become a physiotherapist. If I do that, then change to this subject and do that. I said, do you want to be a physiotherapist? She goes, I don't think so. But there's lots of people there. Like yeah. my um, 17-year-old daughter, she's just finishing year 12 and she's smart. She has no idea what she wants to do. Mm. Like they've got to make decisions at 17, 18 years old yeah. that, that are really tough. Yeah. Yeah, and haven't always had outside exposure to, you know, what's out there. Yeah, exactly. um, And the opportunities, because I know growing up, when I went to uni, it was like, oh, there's all these other things, (laughs) all these other amazing things that you weren't even across just because, you know, it was a different time. Well, I say that to now, go to uni just to meet people. Mm. Like the whole idea is go that first year, Mm. do as many subjects that give you credits towards other stuff as well, so then you can make a decision what you want to do with your life yeah, yeah. because i think that's really important yeah. and i actually think there should be a uni degree or a first year of uni where you can actually do just that because yeah. then make the decision try on, things out yeah, yeah. And, and 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 how you can do this like mm. i want to be a sports physiologist i don't even know what that is mm. but that sounds cool yeah. whereas she wants to be a pe teacher or um uh, ambulance person or any a paramedic mm. and mm. that sort of stuff but she's really really smart and She's really smart at math, which is the irony of that's hilarious. Whereas my wife was really is was, she had kids. She um, <laughs> she is really like she's been always really smart at math and that sort of yep. stuff. It just comes easy to some yeah. people. And I said, yeah. well, why don't you be an accountant? Yeah. Mm. And and like you can do that stuff easily. Mm. So try and do something that you find easy, that you can then enjoy doing, mm. and then move forward with it. Because yeah. I think there's a lot of people that have done accountancy or done finance or done that because that's what they've been told to yes. do or my my old man sold yeah, insurance so that's yeah. what i'm gonna do top yeah. stuff yeah. i love that idea of uh, going to the university to meet people i think that is really a valid idea to go to the university and then meet those people over there because when they come out to the market i think that's connections that network 100%. is going to be yeah very valuable for you everyone says why well, go to bond university and those there's nothing to do with the education there it's the people you meet yeah. and, mm. and the networks i'm mm. the same as on the gold coast there's a school called tss mm. one of the best schools mm. in australia yep. 
Yeah, the old boys network that comes out of that, it's worth sending the kid there just to year 12 to meet those kids. That's mm-hmm. right. Because in future, it's like, oh, I said, here's this boy. Or he's, and the same, I feel like Nudgy mm-hmm. College or whatever <laughs> it is. It's like, oh, he went to that school. So I can ring him because he went to that school. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, it's really interesting mm-hmm. when you look at that sort of stuff. I think it's also realising that you can pick up the phone to anyone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's very rare that someone won't take your call. Yep. And if they don't, then you've not lost anything by trying. 100%. <laughs> I, I agree a million percent. Like, yeah. I think I only come to that realisation about two or three years yeah. ago that everyone else is only human. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, you go home and whether you've got kids or you haven't, you're going to cook dinner. Yeah. Right? You're going to do something for your partner. You're gonna, whatever mm. it is. Mm. Like, I'm the CEO of a company. That still makes me laugh. But at the same time is I do exact same thing as the young bloke that works downstairs. Mm. He yeah. goes home to his wife, but he's got babies now. Yeah. <laughs> in. Um, but, he, but he goes home and he, he does the exact same thing yeah. I do. So yeah. why can't he call me? Mm. Mm. Like it. I've got an open yeah. door policy in my office. I've got yeah. an open door to everyone. Yeah. That's how we met. Like yes. we met on LinkedIn. Yeah. yeah. Like yeah. that sort of stuff. Like mm. all these people, oh, I can't talk to him. He's a politician or he's this. <laughs> it's, um, it's as you person. say, you, don't, you yeah. don't lose anything. No, They're just humans. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's one of the biggest compliments when someone reaches out to you and says, oh, there's something I want to learn from yeah. you. Yeah, like, for sure. Yeah. Can I, you know, ask you something? Can you teach me something? So I think people forget that. We create our own barriers at times. Mm. We, we do a lot. And I think mm. titles are a, you know, a big, big piece to that. Yeah, is definitely. If you've got, and I don't, you didn't used to have titles at all on like business cards and things. It's only when we opened up overseas that that became a thing. Mm. Yeah. Um, like our US office, the guy's a senior vice president. Mm. There's no vice president. There's no junior <laughs> vice president. But, but, but that does, that gets him through that's, doors. That's yeah, it, yeah. And the fact is that my card says chief executive officer. Yeah. I'd rather have chief fun officer or something like that on <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah. Because to me, that's me. But obviously, there's still that whole corporate yeah. crap that goes yeah. on. Yeah. Well, it's been a really good chat. Mm-hmm. But we want we like to wrap up with fast five, oh which I think you'll be good at. <laughs> Do you? <laughs> you'll say what comes straight to your mind. I'll try. <laughs> so, how do you start your day? Oh, you won't believe this. My my day. I used to get up at four a.m. every morning and go to the gym, and then get in a car and come to Brisbane. I don't do that anymore. My alarm goes off at six. I wake my first, my eldest son up because he's got now a bus trip to school. Mm-hmm. I cook him bacon and eggs every oh, day. Nice. And then I go and have a shower, get ready, and I'm in the car, having my first meeting at quarter to seven every morning with Mark, my business partner, mm-hmm. where he's based in Canberra. And, uh, yeah, on the way, we, we plan the day. Sometimes we yell abuse at each other, but that's all part of the fun. <laughs> and, yeah, I get to work in the office at 7 a.m., and, and, yeah, that's the start of my day. What do you like most of? Food. <laughs> first time you heard that. Foodie? Is that, is that bad? <laughs> Someone... Someone has just, said mandarins. Yeah. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Just food. I, yeah. I love food. I love, I love having a good time. I love to smile and laugh and, and do all that sort of stuff and take yep. the piss out of people. But it's, uh, no, to me, yeah, food, food's got to be the winner. Yeah. How do you relax? <laughs> I don't. Um, actually, no, it's, it's interesting. I mentioned earlier about the, uh, the psychologist I went to. He taught me how to meditate. And me, <laughs> that's really the irony of that's hilarious as well. But I learned how to meditate. And uh, so every morning when I get up, I meditate for one minute. That's all a I minute. need. That's yeah. all I need. It's yeah. a big minute. Yeah. Um, but it just clears my head and does that yeah. sort of stuff. And yeah. he taught me little tricks about that sort of stuff. But yeah. I also um, take the kids out in the boat. And we have fun, do that sort of stuff. Yeah, that's my so relaxation. Time. Yep. Yeah, I also watch Car Crash TV. Yeah. <laughs> 
So my my doctor secret told, addiction. Oh, you know, hundred percent. My my doctor um told me that the best way to unwind at night, yeah, no matter how, and this is a really good really good idea. Okay, is to watch something on television you don't have to think about, mm-hmm. or you just sit there and go, really. <laughs> so things like The Bachelor and all that yeah. sort of stuff. Oh, I'm addicted to it. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Tuned in last night, obviously. Hey, no, I didn't actually. <laughs> didn't know I was on until this morning. But but those sort of things is the bit that I um is that makes me relax. Yeah. I sit there with my wife and we watch really shit TV. Yeah, it's fun. Nice. Mm. Uh, proudest professional achievement. Wow. Um. This is really bad. The day I. Asked my dad for advice. I had to sack someone. Oh, wow. That's so interesting though. I was 23. I had a team of 37 people. And I pride myself on building teams even at a young age. And I had to sack a guy. And this guy was six foot seven, a big dark guy. And his whole job was to put computers on tables. And he... Didn't know how to count. Didn't know that at the time. So we overordered by about a million quid. And I rang my dad and said, what do I do? And he goes, I've never sacked anyone in my life. He said, but just be you. Just be honest. Be blunt. Be so to the point. And I had um, my boss with me at the time. I said, you've got to come with me. I had a guy standing outside the door just in case I got punched in the face. (laughs) And I said to the guy, look, I'm sorry, we're going to have to let you go. And he broke down in tears. He's a massive bloke. And I wasn't prepared for that (laughs) bit. But the thing is, I then went and rang my dad and so I did. And he goes, I'm proud of you, son. Like, well done. Mm-hmm. And I think now he's obviously not here. It's one of those things that I look back on and it's really probably not the best thing to be proud of in no, achievement in career. But it gave me the ability to um, to speak to anyone. And it gave yeah. me the ability to be open and honest with yeah. everyone. Um, I've always said I don't lie because I'm dumb enough to not remember what I lied about. And you don't make any mistakes if you tell the mm-hmm. truth. And mm-hmm. I think that's something that the old man taught me. Yeah. Well, it links in with probably the last question, which <laughs> is best piece of advice you've received. My piece of advice I give everyone is don't be a dick. <laughs> we run our philosophy <laughs> on our business by that. And I know I said I wasn't going to try not to swear. <laughs> but the thing is, to me, it's really important. And it's the best bit of advice I've ever been given. And the fact is that just be you. You don't have to be a show off. You don't have mm. to be anything. Just don't be a dickhead. Just be yourself. Yeah, That's the best bit of advice. Well, we'll all take that with yeah. us <laughs> <laughs> and remember it. Brett, thanks for your time. We appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me. I really enjoyed this. Great. So, Thank you very much for uh, participating. Plus, you know, that before I finish, before we'll wrap up. So if our listeners want to connect with you or reach out, um, what's the best way to reach out to you? www.vertech.com.au or on social media on BJMACA. Um, and yeah, just reach out on LinkedIn, Brett McCallum. Thanks, Brett. Fantastic. Thanks Thank so much, you. guys. Thanks Cheers. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Books to the Boardroom podcast. Show notes can be found at briskencomau slash podcast. And don't forget to hit subscribe wherever you are listening to this podcast.